When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. It's time for a portfolio update. We'll be looking at every single position in the story fund and the changes that I've made. I've made some minor changes to reposition my portfolio with the goal of catching up and outperforming the S&P 500 by the end of 2025. That is the goal. And so far, I'm in a tough situation. We're down around 13% below SPY. So my portfolio is the blue line. The S&P 500 is the red line. And ever since that late December sell-off in tech and high-growth multiples, high-priced to sales companies, and all the, the money, all the capital moving into, uh, into commodities, into oil companies, into consumer defensives, right? Like the Kroger's type of stocks. Since that transition has happened, this portfolio has just struggled. This was a factor rotation. The factors that were rotated was out of growth, out of potential upside into defensiveness. That's what the market did. And ever since that's taken place, my portfolio has trailed the S&P 500, ranging from around 7% to 15%, somewhere in there. And even though this looks, you know, it looks difficult, like I have a lot of ground to make up. The truth is 13% can be made up in a very short amount of time. So I still remain very optimistic that with this portfolio right now, I have a decent chance of catching up and surpassing SPY. You look at it just today, I'm up 1.31%. Uh, this thing can really move in either direction quickly. And if you look throughout history, there's some times where I've made up 10% in like, you know, just a couple months, right? A month or two. So the fact that we have until the end of 2025, I think gives me enough time to be able to make up ground here. Um, but let's go ahead and look at the portfolio. Now, like I said, this is a growth-centered, aggressive portfolio with what I consider to be world-class companies that I think have the potential to have massive returns, to have massive amounts of free cash flow. They are companies that I think are very difficult to compete with, companies that are very difficult to uproot their position of being a leader. And I'm looking for these companies to buy them on dips, to buy them on opportune times. But over the past six months, it's been very difficult. A lot of these companies have been knocked down. So I'm excited to go through this. We're going to look at every single holding. I'll share my thoughts on them, as well as some recent changes I did to reposition this portfolio. So first off, let's go through some recent changes here. I sold out of three positions. Two of them are tiny positions that I just kind of sold the remainder of it. And then one of them was a very large position that I exited. And this might look like a big change in my portfolio, but this actually isn't as big of a change as it seems. So let's go ahead and go through it. The first company that I finally just exited my position entirely was Facebook. And luckily enough, I exited this one at a decent profit. I made around $460 on it. And the reason that I actually made money with Facebook is before the huge sell-off in it, I saw news that Mark Zuckerberg was going into the metaverse and that was his initial focus. And, you know, he, he did a lot of plans that I wasn't really a fan of. I didn't really love all these metaverse plans. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. Maybe I'm behind the curve but I took a lot of my profits at that time right then. And then Facebook had its enormous like 30% plunge. So luckily, I 
I sold most of my position before that happened. That's the only reason that I'm in the green because the remainder of that position has been a losing position. Now, in terms of Facebook right now, I actually think that it's probably undervalued. I think it's a good company. I think if you're heavy on Facebook, you'll be just fine. So don't take me selling 400 bucks of it as an indication that the company's going to do terribly. I basically wanted to just get rid of the very small positions and move that into the ones that I have as bigger positions as my higher conviction. So I sold out of the remaining $470 of my portfolio. That was around half a percent. So not a big change there. The next one that I sold completely out of, which was also like a 0.3% position at this point, was Atlassian. And I sold this one at a pretty significant profit. So I did lock in a lot of gains on this one. And if we bring up the chart here of Atlassian, you'll see that over the year, the stock price quickly doubled. It went up into territory that I simply could not justify the valuation of it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to lock in a lot of gains on this one and sell 80% of my position. That's what I did. It turned out to be a good move because Atlassian soon came down in price. And Now that I have around $1,400 of gains in that one, I decided to just exit the position until I really want to go back into it heavily. And so I sold out of $334 of just the remaining position. Again, I think Atlassian is a great company. This isn't an indication by me that I'm bearish on the company. I'm simply trimming those very small, you know, 0.3% positions, 0.5% positions. Now, those were the two smallest positions in my portfolio by far. The next holding that I sold is a very significant position. It was the large $21,000 ETF IGV. And I sold this one at a $4,000 loss. So this one, I actually locked in a loss. Now, this might look bad because you might think I'm selling at a loss, but let me explain what I did with this money because it's actually not as big of a change as it looks. IGV has three top holdings that make up a large percentage of this ETF. Those top holdings are Microsoft, Salesforce, and Adobe. They make up a huge chunk of this ETF. Now, what I did with this money from the proceeds of the sale is I bought Microsoft, Salesforce, and Adobe with a large chunk of this sale. And then the rest I put into Amazon because I did some back testing and check this out. A portfolio that's an even split of Microsoft, Adobe, and Salesforce compared to IGV performs very similarly. In fact, they go up at the same times, they go down at the same times. They have a very close correlation to each other, but Microsoft, Adobe, and Salesforce have historically over any time period performed slightly better. So the way that I look at this is almost like a, you know, a lateral change. I sold out of an ETF that holds these three companies as major positions into just those three companies. And in the process, this has an immediate tax benefit. The Gains that I've incurred from my recent sales, which I have made gains from my recent sales, are going to incur a tax burden. By selling out of IGV at a loss and realizing that $4,000 loss, I can use that to reduce my capital gains burden by the end of this year, assuming I lock in more companies at a gain. And in the meantime, I'm not really selling out of these positions because I'm just moving them out of an ETF into individual holdings. So even though this is a lateral change, I have an immediate tax benefit. And in my opinion, I think there's a decent chance that the three companies, Microsoft, Adobe, and Salesforce, will continue to perform very well against IGV, the mixture of those three companies plus the other companies mixed in. So I think it's a good change. I think I'll have tax benefits from it. It's really not as big of a change as it seems on paper, but that is the last change that I made to my portfolio. Now that we've gone over those changes, let's go ahead and take a look at my portfolio as it stands right now. 
Again, it's at $117,000 of value with $10,800 in the red, which is down around 6%. So um, it's in the red. It's not where I want it to be, but this has been a pretty tough past six months. Now, let me go ahead and just kind of give an overview of where we are. The big change that I've been making or the big thing that I've been doing to reposition my portfolio is I've grown a higher conviction in Amazon, a much higher conviction in this company. I've been reading everything about it. I've been studying the company. Uh, I've been looking at a lot of analysis on it. And when I look at all the options of, of different companies to invest in right now, I feel like there's a ton of value in Amazon. And I know it has the high PE ratio, right? The 50 plus PE ratio. But if you really do a deep dive into this company and you realize the assets that they own, it makes more sense in context. I think the earnings potential for Amazon are enormous. And I actually think that right now it's one of the deeper value companies in the market in terms of its ability to pay dividends, do share buybacks, be highly profitable and show ridiculous amounts of free cash flow in the in the brief future. I think it will be within the next couple of years. So Amazon's a company that I've been continually adding to this position, buying more and more of this stock as it floats around its current stock price. I bought it when it's below 2,700. I bought it when it's above 3,400. I'll keep buying it anywhere within those ranges. Anytime it's trading around $3,000, I'll continue to buy this stock because in my opinion, I think even on a conservative estimate, it's worth around 4,500. So Amazon has grown to a very large holding in this portfolio. Right now it makes up around 40% of the portfolio. That's right, 40% into Amazon. And to put this in perspective, I took a hit on Netflix, right? This one went down quite a bit. In fact, a lot of my losses are from Netflix. This is a big position I bought into at the wrong time, and it took a huge dip because their, their subscriber gains came in way underneath what was expected. So this one I took a big hit on. But even with Netflix not performing well over the next three years, I could still outperform SPY. Even with Alibaba not performing well over the next three years, I could still outperform SPY. It could still happen. Even with Spotify not performing well over the next three years, I could still outperform SPY. Now, if Amazon doesn't perform well over the next three years, I'm not outperforming SPY. That is just the message here. I can survive if Netflix doesn't perform well, if Alibaba doesn't perform well, and if Spotify doesn't, but I can't survive against the S&P 500 if Amazon doesn't, because this just makes up too big of a position. I can't recover if Amazon dips 50% and never recovers. If that situation plays out, I've lost. The S&P 500 will win. Now, I don't think that situation will play out. Now, if we look at Amazon, I just want to go over a couple things here real quick. If you want a bigger deep dive, there is a playlist on my channel of three hours of content, in-depth research that go into different parts of Amazon, overall big tech and valuation, goes over the marketplace and how under uh, under earning it is currently with its potential. And it goes over AWS and the future growth of that company. So I would recommend if you're interested or baffled of why I'm buying so much Amazon, I would watch that playlist. It's just in the playlist part of this channel. Now, Amazon's an interesting company because a lot of people don't really realize the different types of businesses they actually have and what they make money with. For example, many people don't know that Amazon is in the advertising business. That's right. They are an ad business like Facebook, like Google. In fact, Amazon makes more from advertising than YouTube. So if you're investing in Google because YouTube is growing and you think that ads are a good thing and YouTube's going to benefit from that, 
Realize that Amazon makes more money from their marketplace ads than YouTube, and they're growing at a faster pace. That's something that a lot of people don't realize. That's just one part of their business. Now, the next thing that I'd mention is last we heard in April of 2021, Jeff Bezos said that Amazon Prime topped 200 million members. To put that in perspective, Netflix has 222 million members. Um, Costco has 67 million members. So 200 million members is a lot. And Amazon has one of the highest. In fact, it actually is one of the only companies that beats out Costco in terms of retention rate and customer satisfaction. Basically, a lot of people view their Amazon Prime membership as like a utility bill. They just pay it. They don't even know what they're paying. They're going to pay it no matter what. Like they have no thought of ever canceling it. That's how sticky this type of membership is. When I see this type of business, I think that it's very difficult for another company to uproot this or disrupt this. I think it will just continue to grow. The next thing that I'd point out about Amazon is the way that they work. They always go for scale first, then profitability. And you can see this pattern over and over again. They've done the same thing with AWS. They've done it with their marketplace. They're doing it with their prime membership. They're going for scale. They're going for huge amounts of customers and then they start to turn the wheels on how to monetize. We saw with their marketplace just over the past four years, them make this ad business out of nowhere that's now surpassing YouTube. Well, now you can see that Amazon is really bolstering their spend on their Amazon Prime Video library. They're competing with Netflix directly. Amazon spent $13 billion on Prime, Prime Video, this year. Netflix spent $17 billion. So Amazon is catching up to Netflix in spend on their video library. Now, there's differences between Amazon and Netflix, and I know this as a Netflix investor. Amazon has many ways that they can benefit from their Prime Video in ways that Netflix can't. For example, when Squid Game came out, one of the top-selling items were those Vans shoes that all of them wore with their suit. This was a Squid Game show, but Vans benefited, and Amazon benefited because they sold those Vans shoes. Everybody went online, they bought the Vans shoes, and that, that was Amazon benefiting from, from Netflix's content. Now, Netflix is trying to create a shop where they can sell that stuff you know, in and of itself and try to create that ecosystem, but Amazon has an advantage here. If they create content that's very popular, that features intriguing, uh, intriguing clothing or different things, they can link that potentially with their marketplace and have crossover sales directly. They could say, hey, you like this show? Here's the shoes that they wear in this show. Here's that jacket that everyone's talking about that they wear in the show right there on the marketplace right next to the video. Basically, Amazon has a lot of ways to be able to monetize their content on Prime Video in the future that I think other companies can try to do. They can try to mimic it, but it won't be as successful as Amazon because they have a massive infrastructure marketplace built directly into their streaming service. All of it is linked and that gives them an inherent advantage. And then, of course, I can't forget to mention AWS. It's grown to a $71 billion run rate. It is a massive company in and of itself. It has around 40% margins. The tailwinds show that this thing will grow for the next at least 10 plus years. And I think that most analysts are understating its potential growth. So when I look at Amazon, some people might think, Joseph, this is you know risky to have 40% of your portfolio in one company. I don't really think it's as risky as a lot of people think because I view Amazon not as just one company but I view it as a huge advertising business with their marketplace ads, making up 20 to $30 billion. I view it as a prime subscription video business that has 200 million plus subscribers. That's like Costco you know, and Netflix. 
And then I view it as AWS, which has a $71 billion run rate. It's in web hosting, almost an indestructible business model. Uh, I view it as a lot of different companies linked together under one company, kind of like a tech version of Berkshire Hathaway. Now, if we look at the fundamentals using Qualtrum Insights, this is a website that's available as part of the Patreon. We can get an idea of how the numbers look for Amazon. It's currently at a $1.57 billion market cap or trillion dollar market cap rather. It has a PE ratio of 54. So that's the part that deters a lot of investors. Again, I think that Amazon games the bottom line. They don't send a lot of their cash flow to the bottom line. They just throw it into other projects and reinvestments. I think if they wanted to, they could bring this down drastically. I really think so. I think overnight they could. Amazon is a growth company. Some people say the growth is slowing. Consider the fact that from 2020 to 2021, Amazon added more general merchandise value than what target revenues in an entire year. So just in one year of incremental increases, Amazon added a full target worth of general merchandise value. That's how much they added just last year. So The company is growing. In one year, they grew a target's worth of growth. The EBITDA shows steady growth as well. Now, here's an interesting thing. Amazon's free cash flow. Again, this is a $1.5 trillion company. It was growing its free cash flow steadily, like a company of this size should. And then in 2021, during one of their highest growth years, the free cash flow went into the negative by $14 billion. So it went from positive $26 billion to negative $14 billion. So A lot of investors are like, what's going on here, right? Cash flow is the amount of money they're taking in minus their capital expenditures. And it's what's left behind that. So Amazon must have done a lot of CapEx, a lot of spending in 2021 to throw this number into the negative. And of course, we know that they hired hundreds and hundreds of thousands of new employees. They open up every single year, hundreds of warehouses. They throw more money into spending on different projects that... You know, there's so many of them, we don't even have time to talk about all of them. So we don't have the specifics of every single program they spent their money on in 2021. But what we do know is they spent a fortune. They spent a fortune on CapEx. In my opinion, it's very unlikely for them to continue this level of spend, throwing their free cash flow perpetually into the negative. I think that's very unlikely. I plan on seeing this number swing back upwards in the coming years. So that's the free cash flow. The net income has grown over time. This number is thrown off a little bit by the Rivian stake, it should be lower than it actually is uh, because the Rivian stake affected the net income and the earnings per share. And then if we switch over to quarterly, the debt's pretty low at 48.74. The cash currently continues to climb at $96 billion. So they have a lot of money. They don't pay a dividend and their shares outstanding are climbing over time, albeit not by that much. They're just paying their employees. It's a minor amount of dilution. They just announced $10 billion of share buybacks. And that is a minuscule amount for this company. $10 billion of buybacks for a $1.5 trillion company, not a lot. So I really don't take that into account. Overall, Amazon, in my opinion, again, I think this company has so much profitability potential in the near term. In the near future, I think we could see enormous amounts of free cash flow. So I'm very bullish on it. I think that these metrics will look funny in hindsight, uh, but time will tell. That's a company that I have 40% of my portfolio in. Now, next up, we have Netflix. One of my favorite companies, obviously, but so far, this one has been a terrible stock to own. I have it as 15% of my portfolio. I'm down $9,600, and the current value is $18,000. So this was one where the story for Netflix, basically, is that the, the street, investors in it, were expecting a certain amount of subscriber growth. 
for this quarter, they're expecting Netflix to say that they're going to grow 5 million subscribers. Netflix said that they're expecting 2 million. And when you give half or less than half of the expected growth in a forecast, that stock tends to fall. And unfortunately, I was part of that fall. So uh, I've lost some money so far with Netflix, but I remain bullish on this company. In fact, after it fell in price, I bought more of the company on the dip, or at least hopefully the dip. And then Bill Ackman entered into the position as well. And here we are. We're still invested in Netflix. Now, as of right now, Netflix has a Ford PE ratio of 32. So it's not way up there in the astronomically high area. It's come down a little bit more to reality in 32, but it's still an elevated PE. So there's still high expectations of this firm. And I think that Netflix has a decent chance of really proving that they're deserving of this higher multiple. Keep in mind that even though the projections were below what the street wanted, the stock is still doing well. Look at the revenue growth. This is a growing firm and it's growing very quickly. That's a good thing for investors in Netflix. The EBITDA also looks really good. The free cash flow, if we look over annually here, this paints a little bit different of a picture. The big concern for Netflix has historically been that they're losing money, they're losing money, they're going to be swamped by debt, they're never going to be profitable, their business model doesn't allow them to ever be free cash flow generative. Clearly, they've proven the skeptics wrong there. They lost money in 2017, 2018, 2019, then they turned positive in 2020. Now, 2020 was unique, and that reversed slightly back to barely in the negative, $130 million in 2021. But Netflix has reiterated many times, they are going to be free cash flow positive from here on out. In 2022, this should be a positive number. So we'll be looking for that to be positive in the future. And that's the whole idea of buying these companies. Every company that I'm doing research on, I'm looking for how they're going to be a massive free cash flow generative machine. That's what I'm looking for. So when I'm buying Amazon, I might be buying all these companies with these great stories and different aspects, but really at the end of the day, I want a company that can do a lot of this, a lot of cash flow. I think Netflix will get there. I think they're on the verge of turning that corner and going from a money losing company to a free cash flow generative company. They've leveraged debt with low interest rates for a long time to grow their library and to grow their subscriber base. And now they're turning that corner. So whenever I do analysis on any of these companies, I'm wanting the free cash flow. That's the big thing that I'm looking for because that's what funds paying down debt, doing share buybacks, growing the cash balance, growing the earnings, paying dividends, right? All of that comes from the free cash flow. So this metric right here is paramount. It's incredibly important. Now, let's go ahead and move on. The net income, it's growing over time. Netflix has always had a very quickly growing net income. Uh, If we look at the Uh, Let's move over to quarterly. If we look at the debt here, Netflix has a reduction in their debt over the last five quarters because they're becoming more free cash flow generative. Now they have $14.69 billion of debt. Their cash balance has gone down a little bit. They have $6 billion of cash right now. And then if we look at the earnings per share, this is pretty interesting. This paints the picture of when a company that's been leveraging debt and growing and trying to reach scale finally reaches scale. See how much their earnings exploded late 2017, and they've climbed very rapidly. If we move over to annually here, I think this paints a clearer picture. Look at this growth in EPS. This is pretty impressive. Even if you're not a Netflix investor, you have to admit that this earnings per share growth is impressive. In 2021, they had $11 of earnings, $11.24. When I was doing my analysis on Netflix and my discounted cash flows and research on the company, I came to the estimation that they will have 
$33 of EPS in 2026. So in 2025, by my goal, by by the end of 2025 to beat the S&P 500, I think that Netflix will have a, a Ford EPS of $33. That seems aggressive, but I think that they can do it. And on a 27 Ford PE ratio, for example, that is $890 per share. So that's my estimate. I think that Netflix will be worth around $800 to $900 in 2025 based on a $33 per share earnings in 2026. Now, there's some variables. Maybe they'll trade at a lower PE than 27. But in my opinion, I think a 27 is a pretty decent multiple on a company if it has continued to grow for the next five years. And it really has hundreds of millions of subscribers. So that's my valuation on the company. Their shares outstanding have been going up, but it's decelerating. And in fact, if we look over at quarterly here, their shares have basically topped out and this should start to go down because they announced share buybacks. So again, they are becoming free cash flow generative. That's the big thing I'm looking for every one of these investments. I think Netflix will have enough free cash flow to start doing share buybacks to start improving their balance sheet and improving the standing of their company, reducing risk in it. And that's the reason that I'm investing in this company. Now, after Netflix, just shy of Netflix, we have Google at a 14.7% weighting. So around the same size as Netflix. Now, nobody's strangers to Google, so I won't go over just the basics of the company. But if we look at the fundamentals here, Google's basically on paper, like almost the perfect fundamental company, almost as close as Microsoft, right? except it's a lot cheaper than Microsoft on paper. So it has nearly perfect fundamentals and it's trading at a very reasonable PE ratio, a 23. That's the story with the company. You're buying an incredibly high quality company that has multiple monopolies that continues to grow faster than many smaller companies that has a perfect balance sheet with $140 billion in cash and only $12 billion in debt. So they're not at risk of any kind of default or anything happening to it. Um, Their earnings per share grew rapidly in 2020, which is kind of a concern because there was certainly some pull forward. So it's not going to be growing this rapidly in the future. But even at very conservative estimates, they're going to continue to grow. And like I pointed out, I'm investing in free cash flow, looking for highly profitable free cash flow generative companies that will be able to use all of this money to continually pay dividends or do share buybacks. And in the case of Google, they throw it into share buybacks. So they are completely eliminating their share count over time. And it's pretty dramatic. They've gone from 694 million to 662 million in the course of two and a half years. That is a dramatic level of share buyback. So the bull case for Google is extremely simple. It's an incredibly powerful, well-established monopoly that's trading at a 22 PE ratio. Now, moving on, we have Microsoft just under Google with a 9.1% weighting, which is $10,700. Now, if we bring up Microsoft here, Much like Google, it has flawless fundamentals. I mean, it's just fundamentally almost the perfect company if we look at any of the metrics here. The revenue is growing steadily. It's, in fact, growing almost perfectly. It looks like it's made up. Uh, We have the EBITDA here that's growing dramatically. Free cash flow growth is exceptional. Look at this free cash flow in 2021. $56 billion from 2020, which was 45. Microsoft is growing their free cash flow way faster than analysts expect. So if you think, analysts can easily do analysis on big companies like Microsoft, they've been wrong time and time again on the free cash flow. It continues to beat analyst expectations. You look at the net income, that's growing like crazy. The debt's declining over time. They have way more cash than debt. They're growing their dividend over a long period of time, never 
they don't have a chance of canceling the dividend and the shares outstanding is declining as they do rapid share buybacks. So again, the fundamentally perfect company, it trades at a slightly higher PE ratio than Google, which I think makes sense a little bit. You might consider Microsoft and Google on even terms and they should trade at the exact same PE ratio. I don't necessarily believe so. Google's in the advertisement business, which I think is a little bit more volatile than Microsoft's. Microsoft's is in a lot of subscription businesses, which are not volatile at all. So I think investors are slightly giving a premium to Microsoft, which I think is warranted. So Microsoft right now, I think is under undervalued. I think the company should be trading mid-30s multiple. That's what I think this company deserves. But that's just my opinion. I think Microsoft is undervalued. And I think that this company will outperform the broader market from now until the end of 2025. Now, after Microsoft, we have Alibaba at a 5.3% holding. I'm not going to go into this one because I've recently made so much content about it. So if you want to see Alibaba, just go and view one of the previous videos. But I haven't sold any of this company. My last purchase of it was in October of 2021. So I haven't been buying it. I haven't been focusing on it anymore. I'm just kind of holding this company and seeing how it plays out. It's 5% of my portfolio. So it's still a decent amount. And in my opinion, there's still a decent chance this one will make a comeback. And I know everyone hates it right now. Everyone disagrees with that. Charlie Munger apparently sold 50% of the holding. In my opinion, I think that's skeptical. I think Charlie Munger, this is just my guess, but I think he's just as bullish on Alibaba as ever. But regardless, there's just so much layered negative news on this company that I don't see it moving up in the short term. I think it's going to be It's going to have its stock price suppressed in the short term, but over the next five years, things may change. Now, next up, we have Salesforce, mini Microsoft making up 5% of the portfolio. This is a great company that the market sold off with all the other tech companies. So they kind of just sold this one off in the bucket of the tech sell-off. And I think it's a little bit undeserving because Salesforce is, it's a very high quality company. It's not like most cloud companies. If we look at the fundamentals here, uh, the big thing that we're looking for again is a growing free cash flow. We look at Salesforce and what picture does this paint? This is growing free cash flow. In 2019, they had 2.8 billion. In 2020, they had 3.7 billion. In 2021, they had 4.65 billion. This number is growing steadily. That's the main thing that I'm focusing on is I'm building positions in firms that I think will have this free cash flow growth for over a decade, just continual expansion of their free cash flow. Now, Salesforce has leveraged cheap debt to buy things like Slack. They've leveraged cheap debt to grow, but they do not need it to grow. They are very much free cash flow generative. They have $11 billion of cash on the balance sheet right now. They are doing some dilution as they're paying their developers that way, but I suspect in the future, they'll be a very free cash flow generative company, even more so than now. They'll pay down the debt and they'll be doing aggressive share buybacks. I really see that in the future of Salesforce. So in my opinion, I think this company is a steal right now. I'm excited to have it in my portfolio. I think it will outperform the S&P 500. Now, after that, we have Adobe at a 4.7 weighting. That's $5,500. This company has all the things that I just mentioned that I look for. It has a massively growing free cash flow. You can see the trends there over time. Uh, The company has everything you look for. Growing revenues, EBITDA, free cash flow, net income, very stable and low debt. It's not an indebted company at all. In fact, they have more cash than debt currently. They don't currently pay a dividend, but they're growing their earnings per share at a pretty substantial rate. You don't see EPS growth like this that often. That is when they switched over to the subscription model. And then, of course, they are actually doing aggressive share buybacks. So 
They have enough free cash flow to basically engineer their earnings for the long-term future. In my opinion, Adobe doesn't have that many real competitors. I've looked at this space and there's some applications that compete with some parts of the company, but no company really competes with all of Adobe. It just doesn't exist. So I see this company as as outperforming the S&P 500, the broader index. And I also see it as a very risk kind of off bet. Like I think the company is going to be very difficult to disrupt. So that's another one that I'm excited to have in my portfolio. Now we're moving to the next two smallest ones, which are Apple and Spotify. Apple, I have so much content on this one. If you want to see my bull case in Apple, go watch any of the videos on both my channels about Apple. So I've gone over extensively the bull case on Apple. I won't go over that right now. Spotify is one that is just tough. I'll be honest. This one's a tough one to hold. Let's go ahead and look at the numbers of Spotify. The company trades at a price to sales of 2.7. 2.7. So investors don't expect much out of Spotify. This is a bottom of the barrel price to sales. And they're basically saying that this company will never really be profitable in the future. And I think that there's valid arguments for that. So even though Spotify has continually grown its revenue, a lot of the revenue is eaten up by the music labels. So a lot of it goes to that. They are starting to grow podcasts, which is a higher margin business. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel. The problem is they're facing off against big tech. They're facing off against YouTube and YouTube Premium with YouTube Music. They're facing off against Amazon and Amazon Music with Audible and all of their podcasts they're buying. And they're facing off with Apple, with Apple Music and Apple Podcasts. And the honest truth here is all those companies are so profitable with their other businesses that they could price their music service at zero. They could have their music service perpetually be free and still be fine as a company just to attract customers. Spotify can't do that. So I look at the potential pricing power that Spotify has, and I don't think that it's anywhere close to as much as Netflix, because Netflix has a lot of unique content you can't get anywhere else, like the next season of Stranger Things. Spotify really doesn't have that much unique content. At this point, I think that Spotify is a company that does potentially have a good future. They are generating some free cash flow, but what Spotify really needs to do is grow their creator community. They need to make it so people can discover podcasts, they can discover new creators, and they can grow that creator community the same way that YouTube has. And unless they're able to do that and get tons of creators on with tons of kind of exclusive content on Spotify, the same way that YouTube has done it on their platform, I think this company will continue to struggle. So that's the reason that Spotify is not a company that I've been continually adding to. I've been adding new money into Amazon and Netflix and Google and Salesforce and Adobe I have not been adding it to Spotify. I put my initial investment in this. So far, it hasn't turned out well. I'm going to let this one ride and see how it goes over the next five years and see if there's any real developments that I like. But right now, the timeline is just too long in the company, too far out for the profits. I'm looking at companies that can generate profits and real free cash flow a little bit quicker. I think Netflix is one of them. Obviously, Adobe is and Salesforce is. With Spotify, the profits are just way out in the future, and I'm a little bit impatient. So that one I'm not selling, but I'm just holding in my portfolio. So that's the portfolio as of now. We have nine holdings overall. The top three positions, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, make up around 55% of the portfolio combined. And then the last six make up the other 45%. So that's the breakdown. And again, my main focus with every one of these companies, when I'm doing analysis, what I'm looking for are which companies are going to be able to leverage their their platforms or their 
their marketplace to be able to generate significant upside in their free cash flow. That is the major focus that I'm that I'm focusing on now, especially moving into higher interest rate environments. I think these companies will do very well. And the companies that I think will actually surprise to the upside with the amount of free cash flow they'll generate, I think are these ones that I have the biggest waiting to. Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft. These companies already generate a lot of free cash flow. Well, all but Netflix does, but I think that they'll surprise to the upside. I think Netflix and Amazon will generate an incredible amount of free cash flow in the future. So that's the major focus of the portfolio. I think these companies are very hard to disrupt and unroot and compete against. I think they'll be around in 10 years, even though some of them haven't worked out. If a few of these bets do work out over the next four or five years, which I expect they will, I have a very good chance of actually catching up to the S&P 500 and surpassing it. So don't count me out yet. I still think I have a chance in this. And if you want to see how this turns out, I'll be tracking this every single week, week by week. So just make sure you're subscribed. We can look at this together. That's all for now. I'll see you next time.